So two weeks ago today, I turned 50 years old. And about 20 years ago, I started a huge life shift that led to where I am today. I'm an artist, an illustrator, and a writer. And until I was in my early 30s, I had never picked up a paintbrush. I had never drawn. I had never really written outside of my job. And I was going through some big changes in my life, including a big breakup. And I was looking for both something to distract myself from my pain, but also I think I was looking for something to feel excited about when I got up in the morning and I started taking art classes. And I had no idea that they would move me in the the way that they did. So I started drawing and painting all of the time. And this was really before the internet blew up. So it wasn't like I was posting pictures of it on Instagram or anything like that, but I started in the early days sharing my work on Flickr and meeting people online. And eventually that sort of turned into a career. And I don't mean to make that sound like it happened overnight because it didn't. It took years for that to happen. And I really, so my career sort of dawned on the internet. Instantly I started thinking about art as something that was very traditional. That was my only experience. Like you show your work in galleries. And what I began to understand was that there was this whole other world of illustration and licensing and There were all these new ways to sell work and share your work that never existed before. And I started taking advantage of those pretty early on. Started doing commercial illustration, got into illustrating books, published a book recently that actually is about women like me who were late bloomers who started their career or their athleticism or reached the apex of their career later in life. My name is Lisa Congdon and I'm an author illustrator and artist, and I live in Portland, Oregon. Celebrating the lives, work, and achievements of women around the world, The Drum presents Exceptional Women of the World, hosted by The Drum's America's editor, Doug Zanger. Let's go to three questions. What do you think others believe your superpower is? And then conversely, what would you say your superpower is? I'm pretty sure. In fact, my mother <laughs> sure. okay. my mother gave a toast at my birthday party recently. Okay. And she made it sound like my superpower was finding the treasure in the pile of manure. We're Scottish. You're allowed to curse, by the way. Oh, in the pile of shit. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think that like most people see me as somebody who manages even when hard things are happening in my life or when I'm experiencing difficulty as somebody who can actually wake up and sort of persevere through the day Mm -hmm. or that I'm actually intentionally looking for the good and bad situations too. But that's a great trait to have. It's an awesome trait to have. I mean, I appreciate it. I, I think I feel what other people experience as watching me move through something easily Mm -hmm. to me doesn't necessarily feel easy so I wouldn't necessarily identify that as my superpower because I'm actually feeling I'm persevering through the pain but I get it what um, would you say your superpower is so I think related to that but slightly different I think my superpower is that I move through things quickly so that for example if something hard happens I might be really upset about it relative to the thing whatever the thing is five minutes or five days or what if five weeks but that I'm able to process difficulty pretty easily so that I can move on. And then I actually use that experience to help me sort of grow and change 
That's great. I feel pretty confident that that's something I'm pretty good at. I like it. <laughs> if you could give yourself advice on your first day of work ever, knowing what you know now, what would it be and why? Well, I think one of the things I figured out in the last five years, and I don't know why it took me until I was about 45 to figure this out. <laughs> Bear in mind, I'm 48. Yeah, okay. So it's, this is probably analogous <laughs> to a lot of things I'm going through right now. I think as well. that so much of my life in both career choices that I've had in jobs that I've had in, you know, places that I've shown up in the world. I, I think that I've had this um, idea that, or I walk into situations assuming that people aren't going to like me or that I'm, I'm going to do something wrong, that I'm not necessarily going to impress people or that, that I need to be worrying about whether or not people are, how people are receiving me. Mm-hmm. And I just don't seem to care anymore. <laughs> In social situations and in, you know, work situations. Like, I want to do the right thing. Oh, sure. I want to be a good person. I want to, like, be nice to my clients. I want to work well with people. But I don't, I think I'm more, I'm less uh, worried about trying to be somebody that I'm not potentially to be Mm -hmm. liked and just being myself. We call that, at this age... I have fewer fucks left to give. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll, I'll yeah. go ahead and say yeah. it because <laughs> I'm going, but to your point, that's, that's interesting because it's not so much that we don't want to do a good job or that we're being reckless. It's just, we now know what to focus energy on as opposed to what will be wasteful and counterproductive. Right. It's almost like in the past, I think that we, we walk around in the world feeling like everyone's sort of paying attention to what we're doing yeah. and everyone's looking at us or sure. judging us. And 95% of the time, people are focused on themselves, just totally. like we are. Right. Right? We're all a bunch of narcissists. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, we need to sort of worry less about what other people think. And I think that's something that doesn't come until you're older. I mean, I think there are some really wise young people out there totally. who get it pretty young. But yeah. I didn't get it until much later. And I think that made me waste a lot of time being self-conscious in ways that I didn't need to be. Totally understand. What's the most important decision that people and by extension women can make in their careers? And why is that? Um, I think asking themselves the question, what am I sacrificing? Because I think as women, we are raised in this world to assume that we will sacrifice something, Mm -hmm. either our goals, our integrity, our sense of self-worth, it's almost like an expectation mm-hmm. and it's, that's sort of part of being a woman. And I think that in, in your career or in your life in general, it's important for women to always be asking themselves, like, what is it that, that I might be sacrificing in this situation mm-hmm. or in this job? And how can I sort of work differently in the world so that I'm not sacrificing? Let's go to the must list. Okay. What is a must do? I think everyone should go to therapy. Hand raised, <laughs> been there, done that, not ashamed to admit it. Honestly, I think part of what eventually got me to the place that I am in my life was a certain level of self-knowledge. And I think most people walk around in the world, not necessarily not judging themselves, because I think we're all super judgmental, but sort of this compassionate understanding of who we are and why we tick the way we do and really being real about that so that if there are ways that we're screwing up our relationships or fucking up our friendships, that we can actually work on those things. And that can't happen unless you know yourself. And therapy is a great way to get to know yourself. Yeah, it's self-awareness. Yeah. Absolutely. Self-awareness, I think, is one of those superpowers, going back to the, the earlier question, that a lot of people should try to learn, I think. Yes, I agree. And I think it's never ending. Like, I feel like I know myself better 
than I did 10 years ago. And I hope that in 10 years, I know myself even better than I do now. And sometimes the process of getting to know yourself is actually really painful because when you are being honest with yourself about how you might be treating someone or ways that you might be judgmental in the world and you come to terms with that, it's like there's a little bit of a shame involved. Sure. You've got to move past. Totally makes sense. What's a must experience? My favorite place in the whole world well, this isn't <laughs> so many favorite places, but well, one yeah, of my yeah, favorite places yes. in the whole world is the Metropolitan Museum of Art in, 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 in New York City. In New York? Mm-hmm. Not San Francisco? No. Um, <laughs> there is no Met in San Francisco. Oh, wait. No, there's not. Okay. <laughs> there's the MoMA in both cities, and I also love those museums. But that's okay. That's where I'm getting yeah. it. That's okay. So the Met- my, I, got my, I got my acronyms all mi- mixed up. It's, well, it's, it's funny, been that recently, kind of day. Um, so I did some work for the MoMA, the one in New York. Okay. See, that was, that was a ago, professional segue. And I, and I, um, <laughs> I'm such an and idiot. I, somebody inter- did an interview with me and mm-hmm. it, they printed in the magazine that I had done work for the Met. But I think they they were taking notes and I think just like you, One of them they needs to heard, change. <laughs> they heard MoMA and they, well, they heard MoMA and they wrote down the Met because a lot of people confuse them. Okay, they're, so, they're really quite different. Right. Actually. No, they, no they, they, they truly are. So please continue. Metropolitan okay. Museum I love the Met because it has literally a little bit of everything in it. It does. It's so inspiring. It's such a beautiful space. It has history from every culture. It has, and dating back to like times we can't even wrap our head around. Right. It has art from every era, including modern art. There are often really incredible shows there of fashion and other, you know, design icons. And I just, it it's so huge too that you can never get bored. Like, it's, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 one of those places that we took our kid, our son, when he was really little, and it. I just remember like this is never ending, and this yeah. is such a great problem yeah. to have. So we're just gonna have to keep keep coming back. Exactly. I mean, every time I go there, I've never spent more than a day there, but every time I go there, I'll like do different parts because oh, there's so sense. much to see. And hat tip to Moma. Yes. I'm so, I'm such a, <laughs> love the Moma too. We all love Moma. <laughs> I'm such a moron. <laughs> what is a must read? One of my favorite books recently is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay. I love that book because she, in her own sort of humorous voice, really demystifies and breaks down why creativity is both magic and not magic all at the same time. That really? it's both the most ordinary, regular, painful, hard thing, but it's there are also moments that are really magical. And I think that most people have this idea about the creative process that you have to be on all of the time and that it can't mm-hmm. be, if it's monotonous, something is wrong. If things aren't going well, something is wrong. And all of those things are actually the opposite. You know, like it means you're doing something right. Right. But I think we think of it as we have this romantic notion of what it means to be creative and that it should always be this sort of joyful experience. And I think that's why a lot of people run away from creativity because they start to do something creative and it feels really hard or boring or parts of it are not inspiring. And they say, oh, or they encounter fear about it um, or vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so for any of those reasons, they sort of walk away or run away from it. And it's really staying in that sort of not magical part that gets you to the magical part anyway. So, <laughs> so I love that book. It's really great. What is a must learn? For me, a must learn and something that I feel like I'm continually in, engaging in is what 
it means to not live with privilege. I have actually had a super privileged life. Mm -hmm. I'm queer, so I have certainly experienced discrimination before mm -hmm. and you know, not having the same rights as other people, but I'm also a white, educated, upper middle class kid who grew up and had all kinds of opportunities mm -hmm. and wasn't really treated super differently. I think partly because I experienced being part of a marginalized group from a fairly young age. I was in my early 20s when I came to terms with the fact that I was gay. I started to think for the first time in my life about what it might be like to be somebody who experienced even greater oppression than mm -hmm. I was experiencing. I, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about that and attempting to do work around understanding what it, what it might be mean to walk in somebody else's shoes or experience the world differently because when we don't come to terms with our privilege we're ignoring the experience of so many people around us and the and bubble I think the yeah, big bubble the big bubble and i think that's just something that like that work is never done it's it's just always continuing you see hope because i think that it's there are places where there is hope and then there are places where it just gets super challenging. Yes, I think if if you're reading just, especially in the United States right now, if you're like reading the news every day or listening to yeah. the radio, like you can't help but feel deflated or agonizing over things that feel so frustrating, like we're going backwards. We're going backwards, yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think because that's happening, people are waking up to the fact that that they can't just sit on their asses and do nothing while other people's rights are being taken away Absolutely. or while other people are suffering. And so that I think is causing a, a wave in this country that um, is causing more people to confront their privilege and to, to, to get involved in, in change in the world. It's not in the place where it needs to be, but not even close, but I think we're, we're, we're getting there. And my, my personal work is to also not let myself feel exhausted or frustrated by the negativity so that I can keep doing that work because it's so easy to right, feel tired and deflation. Defla you yeah. said the word deflated. It, we need to figure out how we inflate. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> What's a question you've never been asked before that you'd love someone to ask you and what would the answer be? What is something I really wish I could do but can't? Okay, that's 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 not that's a deep one. <laughs> that's that sounds very borderline zen. Okay. There are so many things that actually I wish I could do that I can't, but I do have a reoccurring dream that I am on stage singing and I cannot sing for the life of me. <laughs> um, like if you were so in the car with- So for your karaoke with, team, yeah. make sure, no, okay, <laughs> make sure no, Lisa's not Nobody wants team. me on their karaoke team. <laughs> you do not want to be riding in the car with me. Okay. Um, although I should say my wife is extremely patient with, although she's not a very good singer either. So there you go. She's much more musical than I am. But I have dreams constantly and I have my whole life that I'm that I'm able to sing and I'm singing really well. And so I often wonder what that means. But I also took piano lessons forever when I was younger. And I only got so far when I was 16. I was studying with a teacher who was really a hard ass and she kind of made me hate playing the piano. Mm -hmm. And I had got progressed pretty well. I didn't have any natural talent at it for sure, but I was 
you know, I practiced and I was pretty disciplined. And then um, when I was 17, my parents gave me the choice of continuing or not. Previous to that, I had to take a musical sure, instrument. Understood. Yeah. And so, hence my privileged upbringing, like not a choice, right? Right. I was like, I'm done. And I have regretted that since I was probably like 23. Like there was about five years in there where I was like, never wanted to touch the piano. And then I really regretted it. But then I never went back to it either. So I also sort of wish that I, I think I must have some like inner urge to be a more musical person because all of my, my dreams, my night dreams are often about being able to play like I'll be at church and I'll be accompanying the choir and I'll like, they'll just hand me the music and I'll sit down and play even though I'm nervous, I can do it. Stuff like that, which is great because in so many dreams, we, we dream that we're screwing up, right? Or that right, we can't right. do the thing, yeah, that we get on stage point. and we can't sing. Right, right. And in many of my dreams, that is happening in other contexts. Th- this, this is the universe talking. Yes. Like, I obviously really want to be able to play the piano you should, and th- sing. <laughs> you know, Portland is a very stealthy uh, city for jazz, for example. Uh, right? Randy Porter, yeah. you know, he's yeah. here. There's a lot of great musicians here. I so. know. Right. Who knows? I mean, I have too many other fish to fry right now, so I'm not going to pursue it. But that is something that, like, part of... I don't know that I ever would have been able to learn to sing very well, but I probably could have become a really good pianist. Every guest on the show gets a chance to talk about whatever they would like for a minute or two. So without further ado, the floor is yours. So recently, a few years ago, I was approached by my editor at... Chronicle Books, and I published a number of books with Chronicle. And she said, I have an idea for a book. You know, I was wondering what you thought. And I had written this blog post about getting older and and the fact that this friend of mine had taken a picture of me with her Hasselblad and sent it to me. And it was for a project she was doing. And I was mortified because it wasn't retouched in Photoshop. And it was the first time I it was a beautiful photo taken in natural light, but I could see all the lines on my face and I didn't want to share it and I didn't want her to share it. And I had this moment of reckoning where I was like, this photo is making me really uncomfortable, but why am I so uncomfortable? It caused me to do all this reflection in a very short period of time. Cause like I said earlier, I do move boom, through, boom, boom. I move through <laughs> things pretty quickly. And so I decided to write about, you know, the reality of, you know, it's like women who see pictures of themselves and automatically think they're fat, right? Like that it's just, we tend to hone in on the stuff that's imperfect about ourselves. And so instead I decided that I was going to work really hard at, at embracing all of the ways that my body was changing and all of the ways that my, you know, like everything about me was changing as I was getting older and the blog post went viral. And so my editor got her hands on it a few weeks later. (laughs) And then she's like, I think this is a topic for a book. So I decided how I wanted to approach it was to interview other women who were embracing getting older and were sort of doing extraordinary things at an older age. So the book is a combination of interviews with profiles of and essays by women over 40 who are embracing getting older in some way, are doing really incredible things at a much older age, or didn't really start getting into the groove of their life and finding success until they were much older. Who are some of the women in the book? Many of the profiles are famous women like Julia Child and Vera Wang and Helen Gurley Brown, who's the editor of Cosmopolitan Forever. 
There are, I interviewed some well-known women like Cheryl Strayed, who is a famous author from here in Portland, Oregon, who, you know, she was relatively young. And a lot of writers don't find success until they're much older. So it's not like she was a huge anomaly, but she really, um, in her 40s, just became a household name. And she had been working for years and years and years as an unknown writer until that happened. And then there's some essays by some really incredible women like Heather Armstrong, who is famous for the blog Deuce. And she writes about actually turning 40 and leaving the blog behind and sort of moving on and changing her life in different ways. Because I think sometimes women assume by the time they're 40, they're washed up or the thing that they became known for if they are success driven is, you know, if that becomes uninteresting to them at an older age, that that there's nothing new they can do, that, that, that their time is over. And I think that's really depressing for a lot of women. And I just wanted to show that there are so many women out there who are continuing to redefine themselves and using all of their life experience to do even better, bigger, more amazing things. To wrap up the show, we asked for one last piece of wisdom or advice. So what would be your final word? One of my life mantras is begin anyhow. The reason that I think about that a lot is I think we are often so gripped by fear, even with little things like getting our butt to the gym in the morning or going to a social event where we might not know anyone, whatever the thing is that holds us back, right? That fear often prevents us from showing up. And when we do show up, even when it's scary, Amazing things always happen, even if it's nerve wracking. And I have to remind myself that because I used to be that person who would make excuses for why I couldn't do things. And the minute I stopped doing that is the minute my life became exponentially more fulfilling. The book is Glorious Freedom. Lisa, hometown, Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much for joining us. Best wishes for continued success. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Doug.